Uh, just a reminder, next week we are going to be doing a couple baptisms right after the service. We do have a little pool we pull out. And so um, if you've been following Jesus and, um, and you have never been baptized, and this is one of the, we call a sacrament of the church, which would be communion, which we do every month. And then the other sacrament is the idea of baptism to, uh, um, to go under the water and out of the water, a sign of dying to your old life and rising uh, again to your new life, symbolizing Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you've never gone through that, then uh, you are welcome to next week, and you can just come and chat with me or email the office. And so we'll be doing that next week. And uh, today we're going to start into a new series on the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah is, it's a really short book. If you ever look in your old test in, in your Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it's four chapters, but the four chapters are very, very short. It's just like two little pages, probably in your book. Uh, the Book of Jonah is a very ancient book. Uh, it's like 2,500 years old. Most scholars believe it was written in about 590 BC, and uh, like that's as old long ago as like 4,600 is ahead of us. Uh, a very ancient book, and it's kind of cool that we can read some of these very, very ancient writings and have God speak into our life uh, about them. And so uh, the book of Jonah is actually a very, very unique book. Uh, probably the only other book in the Bible that is as unique as Jonah would be the book of Revelation. Uh, both uh, these books are unique. They're different than other books in the Bible. And... Um, but when it comes to the book of the Jonah, most people, you know, if you were to ask people, what, what kind of happens in the book of Jonah? What's sort of the main point would say something about, you know, Jonah, you know, getting eaten by a whale or a fish, and uh, he's in there for three days, and that's kind of the point of the book of Jonah. And you can just see this if you, you know, look at children's books, for instance, and there's a few up there. Um, you know, children's books often take biblical concepts and simplify them, and sometimes in doing so, they, they miss the point. Um, uh, but, you know, often the point people think of Jonah is simply the, the whale thing, which actually is, for one, the Hebrew word is not whale, it's actually fish. Uh, it's, it's not a whale. It was, it's actually just called a great fish in the book of the Bible. And um, it's only actually mentioned in three verses, the, the great fish. So it's not actually the main purpose of the book. But I got to love some of these children books because, you know, whenever you're talking about fish, you get into the fishing story mode. You know, you know, I caught a bigger fish than you did. Get, get a load of these, these, uh, these books I found off Amazon. So you got, you got at the bottom Jonah and the fish, and then you got Jonah and the big fish, and then you got Jonah and the very big fish. You know, who's got the, who's got the bigger fish? Well, <laughs> one of those one of those folks. Uh, the point of the book, if you think it's about a guy getting swallowed by a fish, you've missed the point of the book. Uh, the point of the book is, has far more to do about God challenging our own hearts and how God loves those people we don't like. The main point of this book is, is like, you know, the author holding up a mirror to us so that we would look at our own heart and, and, and widen our view of God's love and to widen our view of how God looks at those people that we kind of, you know, want to throw, throw aside. You know, because often we just tend to, you know, make God out into our own image sometimes that God likes those that we like and he hates those people we hate. Well, this book really challenges that. 
And that is actually the main point of the book. This book would be considered, if you take the Old Testament and divide it up into various books, uh, one of the minor prophets. And so in the Old Testament, you got the law, and you got historical writings, you got the poetic books, you got major prophets, and then you got minor prophets. And in there, which is a whole bunch of tiny little books in your Bible, Jonah is in there. And Jonah begins just like many of the old uh, books, uh, Old Testament books, the prophetic books. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And we read that and we might go, well, oh, I know what this book, this book is just like all the other prophetic books because if you've read through the prophetic books, uh, almost all of them start exactly the same way. And so here's just some of the other prophetic books like the word of the Lord that came to Hosea or the word of the Lord that came to Joel or the word of the Lord that came to Micah and so on and so on and so on. And the prophetic books are basically compilations of all the prophecies that these, these guys gave. And so there'll be just different writings of words they spoke on behalf of God to these people or to God's people or to whatever it might be. And we might be tempted to think that Jonah is just the same as all these other books because it begins the same. But everything after verse 3 is entirely different. This book is very, very unique in the reality that all the other prophetic books are again about um, the words the guy spoke Jonah is actually a story about Jonah, about this prophet, not the words of the prophet. And um, so it's a very interesting book. It, it is a unique book. Uh, Jonah, we know, lived uh, about 750 BC because he is mentioned one other time in the Old Testament in 2 Kings during the reign of um, king Jeroboam II, who was quite a, an awful king. He was one of the worst kings of Israel. And Jonah gives him a favorable prophecy that he's going to take over this land, and he does. And that's the only other mention in the Old Testament. So we know when King Jeroboam II lived, in around 750 BC, so that's when Jonah lived. The book of Jonah was written about 175 years later than, than uh, Jonah actually lived. Here's just a picture of uh, 1621, uh, Jonah and the whale. <laughs> so this book has a unique style of writing. And this is what makes this book super unique, like Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation, if you've read it, is, is written actually in a kind of language we don't even have anymore, this, this style called apocryphal language. And so sometimes it can be very confusing. And the reality is the book of Revelation is confusing. <laughs> you just get people trying to interpret it. It's all over the place. Um, Jonah is very unique as well, but it's actually written in a style that we know today. And that style is called satire. And you will see books written today or movies or TV shows that are written in a satire kind of storytelling. And satire is basically the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices or a humorous way of criticizing people, doctrines, institutions, or ideas to show that they have faults or are wrong. And the book of Jonah clearly and almost perfectly <laughs> fits into the category of satire. And if you're new to the idea of satire, let me just throw in a little clip here um, of a little cartoon that is, is in this genre to get you to understand the feel of what satire... Hey, do you think Chris is old enough to be my friend? Old enough? Yes. 
But I wouldn't bark down that alley. You'll frighten him. He thinks you're a transformer that broke halfway through. I get that a lot. I understand. Look, Mort was in trouble. We, we were just trying to help him out. Well, insurance fraud is not the way to help somebody out. Listen, Joe, insurance agencies are all scumbags. They deserve to get hurt. You don't decide that. What you did is against the law. It's easy for you, Joe. You don't know what it's like to be screwed over by an insurance company. Oh, I don't, do I? Well, let me tell you a little story. It was hours after my accident. I was barely conscious on the operating table. But I'll never forget the phone call that changed my life. Hello, I'm calling on behalf of your policyholder, Joe Swanson. He's badly injured his spine. Well, there's a new procedure that, if administered immediately, should restore his ability to walk. $200,000. We also have a wheelchair. $60. Okay. They're going with B. To an example of satire. So it, satire is exaggeration, it is, is humorous. And you got a picture when you read the book of Jonah, a bit of a laugh track behind it. Because uh, if you understand the genre, and so we got to introduce a little bit of humor into reading the Bible sometimes, uh, there are a lot of funny things in the book of Jonah. So again, it's the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices. And, and you see this in the book of Jonah. Everything in the book of Jonah is completely backwards to what you might expect. And so you have this prophet named Jonah who, you know, in that day the prophets were the heroes. They were the, the ones that were awesome. They were, the, you know, the ones who spoke on behalf of God and, and they were the ones you're supposed to look up to. But in this book, he is the exact opposite. He is faithless. He is running from God. He is doing everything that he shouldn't be doing. It's the exact opposite to what you think. And then you have like these sailors who are these pagans who are supposed to be, you know, these crazy sailors. You know, you know God's people don't hang around them. They are very humble and they submit to God and they, they want to do what God wants. And then you have perhaps the most atrocious king ever, the king of Assyria, who his hands are full of torture and blood, who after a little short five-word sermon completely repents and gives his heart over to God. And it's just all backwards. And then the Ninevites, who again were these rebel, you know, very awful people who did some of the, the worst things in history. Again, they just, after a little five-word sermon, they repent and they make all the animals repent, which is kind of strange. And then you have, you know, this weird vine that, you know, and a worm. And it, it's, just, it's just all backwards, this book. And, and some of it is actually quite humorous. Even the opening line is supposed to be a little bit funny because all of this is, is kind of stretching some ideas to bring to this point where we go like, oh, God really does care about those people that I don't like. And, and the opening line is, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And the word Jonah means dove and his, Amittai means faithfulness. And again, we get our expectations up. This is the word of the Lord. This is a mighty prophet of God. He is, he is a dove, which almost represents the Holy Spirit and gentleness. And then he is faithful. And then everything after is not. <laughs> he's not faithful at all. In fact, he's like super angry at God that he wants to die. And he, he, he's just completely opposite of that. This, this whole book is just, it's upside down and it's backwards and it's all over the place. And it's filled with, with all kinds of exaggeration. In this tiny little book, the Hebrew root, great or huge, 
is used 15 times. I mean, everything is just big in this book. Like, the storm is huge, and the fish is huge, and, and, and the city is just gigantic. It says in Jonah 3, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And it's just like, I mean, any historian was like, there's, there's no city that big back in those days. It wasn't impossible. I mean, it's just, it's a grandeur kind of satire to really bring us to this point where we look at our own hearts and it stretches us and it, it, there's a challenge to this book. Now, one of the big debates about this book um, out there in Christianity is, is this book historically true? And the, the, the wrong thing about this is often this argument is all around the, the fish. Did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish for three days and survive? You know, how could that be true? And people say, well, it happened. There are certain stories in history where it kind of happened. And I mean, it, right off, you're kind of going to the wrong spot because this book actually isn't about the fish. It's about, it's about our own hearts and, and revealing the heart of God. Uh, but out there in Christianity, there are really kind of two big categories. Um, some would say it's historically true. Others would say that this is more like a parable. So if you look at the parable of Jesus, his parables weren't true stories, but the point of the parable was a true meaning. And so some people will see the story as historical fact. Probably most scholars would put it in the category of a, of, of a parable, a story that's kind of exaggerated, and, and, and it really brings home this powerful point that God really loves and cares for your enemies. And so um, it's out there. I mean, all the different views are out there in, in Christianity. If you want to look up that more, uh, go, go ahead and do that. So Jonah 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And Nineveh and the Assyrians were incredibly, you could put them easily in the category of wicked. Uh, even historians today would say that the Assyrians were some of the, the worst abusers of torture, and, and they didn't hide it. In fact, you can go into some of their, their, their palaces that have been dug up through archaeology, and they have documented all these ways they tortured people on these tablets and on these writings on, on, on the walls of just kind of the worst, worst things. And, and I, wanted, I wanted to get into all that, but they would, um, you know, go into cities and take all their leaders and, and skin them alive and make all the people in the village watch before they would cut off people's arms and gouge their eyes and make, make them walk around. I mean, they, they perfected torture. And, and God says to Jonah, the, the dove, the faithful prophet, would you go and preach to these people? And, uh, and like, well, that, that's a pretty big ask. Um, you know, one uh, history guy said the brutality of the Assyrians was extreme. Even for the ancient standards of cruelty, the Assyrians knew that brutality was a very effective tool of psychological warfare. And so they would destroy a town and make it so gruesome and stack heads up in pyramids to scare the next town so that they would surrender. I mean, very, very brutal. <laughs> and God says, hey, Jonah, I got this little, you know, just a small little task. Would you, would you head over there and go chat with those people? Because I see what's going on and, and, and they need to change. Something needs to be done about this. So Jonah gets this word and it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, 
And often in kids' books, you see him like sneaking on through a basket or something. Now, Jonah was a little bit more faithful than that. He actually paid his fare. He was honest that way. And he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the war. Now, this is where you're supposed to have a little laugh track because we don't get this. But if you understood the history of the day, this is a little bit funny because Tarshish is pretty much in the opposite direction. And it is basically like we would say today. I mean, that person went to the other side of the world. Or that person went, you know, he, he ran so far, he went to like Pluto. Tarshish was the end of the known world. It was the last port before the open ocean. Uh, he could have gone down to Egypt. He could have gone every other place. But part of the, the, the storytelling is just this extreme situation that kind of makes you kind of laugh and giggle. And then it really brings you down to this point <laughs> at the end of this book. He goes to the farthest per place possible, all the way to Tarshish, as far away from Nineveh as possible. A long way away. And it says that he fled from the Lord. Now, why did Jonah run? I mean, we would probably just assume, well, that's an easy answer, because God asked him, a prophet of God, to go and talk to the most wicked people of the day, I mean, who's going to survive that? I mean, imagine like, you know, marching into these people and saying, you know, I got a message for God. You know, God wants you to repent and knowing all the things they have done. We would assume that Jonah runs away because God asked him to do something that was scary and frightening and he was afraid for his life. But that's actually not why he ran away. The story doesn't say anything about Jonah being afraid. It doesn't say anything about Jonah saying, I'm not going to go there because, you know, they might cut off, off, off my head. That is not the reason why. And we will learn more in chapter 4, but let me just give you a heads up. Jonah himself says and answers the question why he ran away. And this is what he says. Uh, Jonah becomes very angry because in this story, you, you know like when you ask a little kid to do something and they just want to do the minimum? <laughs> just so they kind of they can say they did it, but they do like a really crappy job. Jonah does this. He, he eventually actually ends up going to Nineveh. And, and he basically just gives a little five-word sermon to say, God, I spoke to these people and now I'm out of here. But in a funny way, because of the satire, this, the whole city repents. The king repents and the city repents and they make all the animals and the cows and the sheep all repent. And, and, and then Jonah's so angry that these people repented. And then God does this little thing with a vine and he's so mad that he just wants to die. Uh, but we'll get to that. <laughs> but he became very angry, it says. So he complained to the Lord about it. And this is what he says. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And this is a quote from Exodus 34. I mean, Jonah knew exactly who God was. In Exodus 34, when Moses is like, Hey God, can you reveal yourself to me? And God says, sure, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And God comes out and says, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations and I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Jonah knows this and Jonah quotes part of this and this is why he runs, 
Because he does not want God to love his enemies. He does not want these people to repent and get on God's good side. I mean, he hates these people because the Assyrians came in and did all kinds of nasty stuff to his people. And he's like, God, I don't want you to love my enemies. And so I'm not going to talk to them in case they repent. So he runs to Tarshish. He actually thinks God is too loving. He doesn't want God to love his enemies. And, you know, we can subtly fall into that very same trap. You know, Jonah tries to run, but I think we all know we can't run from God's Spirit. You're here today, God's Spirit is here. You get in your car, God's Spirit is there. You, you drive to Tarshish, you go to Australia, New Zealand, you go to Pluto, God is there. And, and this is a promise of His presence. In Psalm 139, it says, where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. It doesn't matter how dark a period you find yourself in, uh, how far maybe your life has gone off track from what you think it should be, how far or close, whatever you are. God, with his presence, he is lavishing love on you every single second, is right with you wherever you are. And maybe you just need to realize that today, because maybe you feel that sometimes, you know, God couldn't be loving me right now, or maybe God has pulled away because, you know, I've, I've done something wrong. His presence is always right there, just saturating you and loving you and calling you and guiding you. And, and I mean, Jonah can't actually run from God, but he is running from God to, to hopefully, <laughs> to, you know, just so he doesn't have to do what God is asking him. We can run from God in our hearts. You know, we can close off our hearts to God, even though God is right in our midst. And I just want to finish up with some ways that we might be running to Tarshish like Jonah, running away from God. Uh, we can run away uh, to Tarshish through, through our little religious rules. And, and this gets back to the purpose of the book. Uh, most scholars think the purpose of the book was, so Jonah lived in about 750 BC. This book was written in 593 BC, they say, about 175 years later. And the reason they think this book was written was because God's people were falling into a trap that is very common with groups, religions, very common with God's people. And that is we fall in this trap of tribalism, of judgmentalism, and thinking that God is only likes our little group and all those other people who differ around different beliefs than us. You know, those are, you know, God doesn't like those people. And, and we get in this little group where we become insular. And this was happening to God's people. Uh, they were thinking in those days very strongly that the only way they could remain holy was to separate themselves from all the other nations and all the other people and the Gentiles and the pagans and, and I got to separate myself to them. And so this author writes the book of Jonah where the guy who's supposed to be for God is completely against God and all these Gentiles, pagans who are the outsiders were actually for God and it's all upside down at this point that God really loves those people. And greater is he that is in you than is in the world. You don't need to think, oh, I got to separate myself in order to remain holy. It's like, would you look at the life of Jesus? You know, a lot of issues can be solved by just looking at Jesus. 
You know, what did Jesus do when it came to outsiders, those who were different, those who were, you know, you know those out people we need to stay away from? While well, he was hanging around the tax collectors and sinners and the lepers and, and reaching out to the Gentiles and to, and to women, to those groups that kind of people pushed away. I mean, you might remember the story in Luke chapter 7. When Jesus is at this Pharisee's house, and it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, and Jesus is touching this, this so-called sinful woman. And the Pharisee says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And that kind of describes what scholars think was going on in God's people when the book of Jonah was written. And so they write this book to challenge this notion to bring them back closer to God's heart and, of course, to Jesus' heart. That God really loves people who are different than you. He loves them a lot. And, and so sometimes we can put up these little religious rules that actually we're running from God because we're missing God's heart because we think these are the rules God wants us to follow when they're actually different from the way Jesus lived. And so we always need to be just bringing our uh, life back to Jesus to keep our eyes fixed on him, as it says in Hebrews, and, and making sure we're not living in a way that is different from Jesus, but in line with Jesus. Uh, secondly, uh, we can run from God in our hearts just through our inner shame. It, it is amazing the power of, of shame and what it can do when it comes to our relationship with God. And shame is basically, you know, I'm horrible, I'm gross, nobody would want me, and I'm a, such a dirty, rotten person, and, you know, I'm no good. And why would God want me? Because I'm such a horrible person. You know, I just, you know, God would never love me like this. And, and, and shame just causes us to curl up and, and die. And, and, and we push God away when we do this. But this is kind of a religious rule that is actually not actually there. Because <laughs> again, look at Jesus. What did Jesus do with people who were broken and hurting? He always reached out and pulled them near. In fact, Jesus tells the story in Luke 15 of someone who lived a horrible life and ran away and disowned his father and all these things. And, and Jesus says, while this guy was still a long way off, his father, who represents God, saw him, he sees you, and was filled with compassion for you. And he runs to you, and he throws his arm around you, he gives you a kiss, and he says, you're forgiven, you're in my grace, you're in my mercy, don't let shame block, because I mean, the scripture says over and over, and we've talked about this so many times, I don't even have to say it, but the Bible says God will never put anyone to shame who is in Christ Jesus. And so don't allow shame to block your heart from God. And then lastly, through rebellion, this is what Jonah did. Jonah's running through God, running from God because he has rebellion in his heart. In other words, God says, hey, Jonah, would you do this? And Jonah says, nope, not going to do it. I'm going the other way. There are times when we do this. When God whispers in our heart to do something, he puts a dream on our heart. He puts a plan of action on our heart. He says, would you stretch out and go talk to this person? Or would you begin moving in this direction? And we look at it, we might get scared. You know, whatever it might be. And we just kind of push it away. That, that, in a sense, is rebelling. We're rebelling against the voice of God. And what we need to realize, and, and what Jonah needed to realize, is that whatever God is calling you to is full of life. Whatever God says to you is full of life. Uh, John 10, 
It says a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And sometimes we think that's God. <laughs> you know, sometimes we get mixed up and think when God asks us to do something, like, oh, that's awful. That's going to kill, steal, and destroy my life if I follow God's voice. No, the enemy does that, but God doesn't do that. Jesus says, I have come that they have, may have life and have it to the full. Whenever God whispers something to you, it is life. And it is bringing you into a fuller life. And when God whispered into Jonah's heart, even though that's a scary thing to do, obviously, it was actually to bring him more life. Because, you know, Jonah finally does this. And, and you know, in the end, Jonah becomes the most successful prophet in the entire Bible. <laughs> he becomes the most successful prophet in the entire Bible when he finally does voice. God was, was wanting him to win. I mean, I mean, he causes this, this is the most awful, wicked city, this gigantic city, all to give their hearts to God. I mean, you can't get more successful than that. He was the most successful prophet, but he was running from that. And could it be that you are running from something God has put on your heart because you are afraid or you think that's going to make your life worse when in the end, God is like, this is going to bring life to you. This is going to get an increase to you. This is going to do amazing things in your life. Because in the end, that was what it was for Jonah. It's always good to run to God, not away. I mean, God is love. Jonah's trying to run away. It's always better to run to God because God is life and God is, is love. And, and he's rooting for you. And, and even if you feel stuck today, that you're like, I, I'm just so burnt out and overwhelmed. I can't even, I don't even have the strength to run. I, I am just stuck. Well, God is coming to you. He is like the father who is running to you. And as he's running to you, he's inviting you to come to him. And, and we have all these invitations in the scripture to do the very opposite thing that Jonah. Jonah's is running away and God is saying, no, 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 come near. Jesus says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Isaiah said, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me. And will you eat what is good? You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. And as Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If you find that there's something in your heart that you are running from God, would you stop and just turn around and run towards God? Because when you do, you're running towards life. You're running towards love. Because that is who God is. As we close, let's take a moment just to reflect on this. Let's just ask God, God, is, is there any area of my life where I'm running from you? God, is there any area in my life that I closed off my heart and I'm running the opposite way? God, is there any way that I am running from you? And God, we invite you to look into our heart. What, why, why is it that, I, that I'm running? Is it fear? 
Because I think you're too good. I think that you're not going to work things out. God, what is it that is causing me to run? And God, what is the truth that you want me to know about your calling? God, what is the truth that you want me to know? And this is in your own words, just take a moment to just... Pray a prayer of his sealing that, of, of commitment to follow his way. In Jesus' name, amen.